his work will be accomplished in you. More love to thee. <laughs> you know the funny thing about this, the, the funny thing, it's not really funny, but it's the ironic thing about these kind of things is these kind of things put us all on a level playing field. Because no matter where you think you are this morning in your devotion to Christ and your, and your faithfulness to him and your obedience to him, of which I can assure you we are all over the place. Let's just be honest about that. We are all over the place with that here. There are some of us who have walked faithfully with Jesus for years and years. There are some of us who have just started. There are some of us here who aren't even doing that yet. We are all over the place in that regard. However, there's not a single one of us that is exempt from the cry of our heart that, that needs to be there, that Jesus deserves more of our love. That there's growth that can happen and should happen in us, that we can love him more. I don't care if you've walked with him uh, for uh, one day, or if this morning you will begin walking with him, or if you've walked with him for 75 years. You have not yet exhausted the depths of the love that Jesus wants to call out of you. The devotion to him. And someday, again, I say, if you sincerely meant that prayer this morning that you sang, someday he will bring that to a completion, the day of his choosing. Whether, whether the Lord will call you home, or whether, I should say the day of, the Lord, of God's choosing, whether the Lord will call you home, or whether he will send Jesus back. Open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to uh, read verses this morning that are going to be right in line of where we've been. We do have communion this morning, and we plan to participate in communion together as a body of Christ at the very end of our service. Um, and uh, we've, we, you've probably noticed a bit of a shift. We have typically traditionally done communion uh, on Sunday evenings. We do them four times a year, and we do them, uh, have traditionally done them on Sunday evenings. We are shifting, our leadership team has made a decision to shift that to, uh, to sort of break that apart. We do still plan to con continue doing two of those on Sunday evenings. On those Sunday evenings, we'll do things like foot washing and have, uh, have more sort of what would be traditional communion for a Mennonite or Anabaptist uh, church. Uh, and on uh, two of those times, we will do uh, a communion on Sunday mornings. That's kind of our intention to do it on Sunday mornings. We do that uh, mostly because we recognize that for some people, uh, Sunday mornings, you'd love to participate in communion with us, but you're not able to for some reason. And Sunday mornings just makes more sense. And so we're going to do that here this morning. It will be at the very end. And I've chosen, I think it fits well with our text this morning, to not do a specific sermon uh, for communion, but to simply continue our study in Second Thessalonians. We were gone for a week uh, last week. I thank you for your prayers for us, uh, those of you who prayed for us. We were gone last week. And we were preaching in a, uh, a little bit smaller church than this, but a very similar church to this. Uh, in, uh, the church was named Dayspring Mennonite Church. It's in Midland, Virginia. It's actually on the, sort of in the suburbs or outskirts of Washington, D.C., and uh, pre preached there for some revival meetings, and then we're gone all week in uh, just outside of Harrisonburg, Virginia, for pastors' conference. By the way, I hope I'll be able to expose you. Uh, it's our, I think our leadership team intention, or at least those of us that were out there. Joe was out there. Chris Records was out there. Uh, we'd love to expose you to some of the things we heard this past week. Uh, Marcus Yoder was the guy's name who gave some input. He's from Ohio. He's actually a former Old Order Amish uh, guy who's now a uh, director of a place called Behalt. If you know what Behalt is, it's in Holmes County there that tells the Anabaptist story. Have any of you ever been to Behalt? I've not been there myself. 
They have this really fantastic long like mural that tells the story of Anabaptist history. It's a little bit like Menahoff if you've been to Menahoff and Shipshawana. Anyway, uh, Marcus, it, it was a sweet spot for me, if I can just take a few moments. It was a sweet spot for me because I love history and he told lots of stories. But it was also a really sweet spot because he combined those stories with the, the reality or what that means for us today, living as people who are called ourselves Anabaptists. And a renewed invitation to not be ashamed of our Anabaptist heritage, especially when you devolve down, and this is where I love where he ended up, you devolve down what set apart those Anabaptists was the commitment, the radical uh, commitment to uh, saying that our faith must be lived out in radical obedience to Jesus. Like you can't separate salvation from being obedient to Jesus, which was a big thing at the time, uh, is that you can somehow be a believer or be part of a church and not really obey Jesus' teachings. Um, so the radical commitment to be uh, that our salvation uh, must, cannot be separated from obedience to Jesus Christ and that that is lived out in a community of people who give and receive from each other. It's very much an Anabaptist stronghold. And that in relation to the world around us that does not know Jesus, that we are committed, that radical obedience means that we will, we will be committed to taking the message of peace, that Jesus brought peace between us and God and peace with each other. Uh, that's what the gospel of, of Jesus Christ is about. Anyway, so uh, I don't know what that's going to look like. We made no plans, but I'd love to have Marcus come at some point and, and be able to, to share with us because I, I think you would enjoy that as well. Anyway, it was a good week together with brothers and sisters who are also pastors. is always, a, is always a, a really wonderful time for me and uh, Heidi and uh, our family as well. But for us to be able to sit and be ministered to uh, is really, really good for us. If you have any more questions or want to talk about that, I'd love to do that, but I don't want to take time this morning to do so. You should by now have your Bibles open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 and 14 this morning. It's where we are at in our study uh, of Second Thessalonians, and like I said, I think we can make this fit really well with a communion Sunday. The title of my message is Give Thanks to God, which again makes perfect sense. Let me just read a couple of verses. We'll have a prayer, and then we're going to uh, jump in and see what the Lord has to say to us from these two verses. This is what Paul wrote in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for you have done such a great work. You came, you humbled yourself, you displayed something that is so uncharacteristic of us. You emptied yourself, you were obedient, you took on a punishment you didn't deserve. You brought about, in doing so, you brought about justice, something that we could never actually do. Thank you, Jesus for what you've done for us. Thank you that there is a written record, God, that is, is, is kept for us that we may know and read these things. This morning, as it is often uh, said and always ought to be understood in our hearts and in our heads, this, this morning as a body of Christ, as, as, as those who come to serve you, Jesus, we put ourselves in a position of humility before you, of service before you, of worshiping you, of lowering ourselves to the teaching of your word, God, so that we might be taught by your Holy Spirit what it is you have to say to us. Open our ears to your voice, Holy Spirit. None other than you. God, we want to worship you and you alone. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, we invite you to bring healing, these wonderful things we sang about. No matter where we find ourselves this morning, Father, we invite you, you alone, in the name of Jesus Christ, to be able to bring healing, to bring this great friend who is Jesus, this great high priest who is Jesus, this great holy one who is Jesus, here to us and to our hearts that we can fall on our faces before you and say, God, have mercy on us. Thank you for what you've done for us. Change us, God. Transform us, God. Make new creations out of us, God. Renew our minds so that we would not be conformed to the world, but be tra are transformed by you the renewing, through the renewing of our minds so we might know what pleases you and live that out. Oh, God, there's not a single person sitting here that doesn't need to say those words to you. More love to you. Teach us this morning by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it has been a couple of weeks since we were in 2 Thessalonians, and we, you remember, just a quick recap, in the first part of chapter 2, Paul begins to address their concern that Jesus had already come. The day of the Lord had already come, and he said, no, 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 it's not going to work like that. Before that happens, there must be a great falling away, and there must be, in fact, a revelation, a revealing, an uncovering of one who is known as a lawless one. Even though there's lots of lawlessness already going on, there's lots of evil already going on, and we all know that, right? We can look around, and we can say it's getting worse he says there must be a revealing of one who is who stands in the place of Jesus in fact I would suggest even proclaims himself to be a Christ the Christ and and in doing so leads many astray we read these things we wrestled with those things we talked about those things we spent two weeks in the prior uh, text of this and now he turns the corner and says but this is not what I think of you or perhaps I should say this is not what God thinks of you you know, those last couple of texts there, the sermons there out of that text could leave us in a place of some concern, right? There's a great deception coming. There's great evil coming. I don't know about you, but we have to connect that together to recognize that if great deception is coming and great evil is coming, that means great trouble is coming for those who sincerely follow Jesus. Those who want to honor Jesus. Those who want to do what he's... There's going to be great trouble coming. And that could leave us in a place of feeling unsettled or perhaps even being worried. How am I going to keep myself from being deceived? How do I, how do I protect myself from this lawless one? And we talked a little bit about that. But now Paul says, wait a minute. I don't want you to come away from this with a sense of dread or a sense of fear or a sense of wringing your hands or wondering what's going to happen. I want you to know what I think of you and further, better yet even, what the Lord thinks of you. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. My intention this morning is to put or keep this firmly in context to make sure we understand what Paul is saying in this letter, but also to just use this, rip it out of these pages and bring it to us today and say, this is what is going to enable us to participate in the communion table this morning together as the body of Jesus Christ. Give thanks to God, beloved of the Lord. Now, I want you to catch that, please. I want you to catch that because he has already told us what God thinks of you. What God thought of them and what God thinks of you or how he feels about you. Because he uses this wonderful phrase, I give thanks to God for you brothers and sisters who are beloved by the Lord. 
You're beloved by the Lord. The Lord loves you. The Lord cares for you. God loves and it's a, you. We know this. You've sat in church. Maybe you haven't ever sat in church, but you know these things. It's the most famous verse of all. You hear it all through the Word. But I'm wondering sometimes whether we truly allow ourselves to just sit there with that for a moment. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves me. And I know me. I know my shortcomings. I know the places I've already failed. I know me well enough to know it's going to happen again sometimes. Even if I don't want it to. Because I don't want it to. I don't want it to. I want to please Jesus. I want to be the best husband to my wife. I want to be the best dad. I'm not ashamed of saying that in front of you. I want to be the best dad in the world, but I'm not. But God loves me. And he loves you too. That should do something inside of us. If it doesn't, I don't know that we're willing to admit who we are. But we ought always to give thanks to God, brothers, beloved by the Lord. There's two phrases I want to use to kind of guide us through our time. Because God's love is so incredible. And today, in these two verses, and preparing us for communion, they just lay out what God's love accomplishes for us. What does it mean? Why is it so incredible that God, why does it do something inside of us that God loves us? Why? Well, they're right. it's right here in these verses. Paul just writes it out for us. Well, he brings salvation. We know that, Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He brings salvation. But that's actually just the beginning. That's not the end. That's the beginning. In fact, the phrase that's there that I want to bring to our attention is this phrase, saved. And I should have put a comma in there. I apologize for not doing that. I didn't put it on the slide. I didn't put it on your handout. There should be a comma there to be faithful to the text. Uh, that God has saved you and then he talks about through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. But I want to pause for a moment before we really dig in that phrase because there's actually a little phrase that I jumped over that I think sometimes maybe causes some problems or causes some difficulty with this text. It's the phrase that I didn't put on the screen, but it says that God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification. Or depending on what translation you're reading this morning, it might read that God chose you from the beginning. To be saved through sanctification. Now, I, I want to just pay a little bit of attention, do a little nerding out on the words here to help us understand some things that are wrestling with or some things that are presenting the tension, but I don't want to spend a lot of time with it because it's not what he's trying to really make sure we pay attention to. But just to give you why you have some different translations, by the way, 
There's two different phrases, and this I found, this is not very common, by the way, but I found that even, uh, depending on what translation you're reading and what manuscript it's based on, there's actually a different Greek word there. Now, lots of times, there's the same Greek words that are just translated differently, right? Like the writers say, well, we think it means this, or translated best in this way, but it's the same Greek word. In this case, actually, there's two different words that are used in, different, in a different original Original makes it sound weird, but you know there's more than one manuscript that they have from original, from antiquities. One is a little newer, but more complete. The other is older and less complete. And in this case, the words are actually slightly different, which is why you're getting a little bit of a different translation. In one translation, it says apo arche, two different words actually, which means from the beginning. From the, so if you're reading that translation this morning, that's what, you're, that's what it's based on. The manuscript that says, Apo Arche. From the beginning. Now this is a phrase, it's directly translated, and it's pretty clear what it actually means. The problem is, Paul doesn't really use it in any other place in any of his writings. And Paul has written a lot. So he doesn't ever really use this phrase ever. Now he does use phrases like, uh, from the foundation of the world in Ephesians. Or before the ages began. Lots of references to that. Before the ages began. But it's not this phrase. Now, in some texts, then, they, they, it, the word is actually put together. The O is dropped and it's put together. And the word is aparche, which sounds a lot like it. And it is usually or almost always translated first fruits. Now, this is a word that Paul is a big fan of. He uses it all the time. He uses this word in all kinds of settings in lots of his letters, meaning first fruits. Now, if he's using it in the second context, first fruits, and you're reading it just a, a literal reading of the text there, he's really just saying that you Thessalonian believers were of the first to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was true, right? Like Paul went out and went on his missionary journey and he came to this town and he brought the gospel to them and they were of the first, among the first, not like the very first, but among the first Gentile converts to the Christian faith. That could be what he means. Or he could be saying, if it's the other phrase, he could be saying, God knew from before time began, from the beginning, that you would be those who would say yes to the gospel. And of course, we talk about these things because it's on these things that we have these this theological discussions about what Scripture actually means. In fact, there's entire theological belief systems that have separated on that, which are not helped by the word he uses before that. God chose you. God chose you. In this context, the word is ai which is also a fun word to say. It means to take for oneself. Now, once again, this is, this is interesting. I mean, maybe you don't think it's interesting. It's interesting to me. Paul talks about things like election all the time. But this particular word is the only time he uses it, actually, in any of his letters. So it's not the same word as eklektos, or elected, that God has elected or chosen you to be part of a share. It simply means to take for oneself. What does all that mean? You know, you're probably not going to like me too much when I say this, but I don't actually know for sure what all that means. Paul uses a few words he doesn't normally use. Or maybe he only uses one word he doesn't normally use. But certainly this word itself could simply be referring to redemption itself. Because that is what redeeming means. Is to purchase for yourself something. All of that to say, though we could take these phrases and we could make some technical applications about whether we should have Reformed theology or Arminian theology or all kinds of those things, I would say to do so would be a travesty because it's not the force of the phrase that's here. 
It's not what Paul is trying to talk about. It's not what he's trying to say. He's not trying to make any point about what God knew long ago, which of course God knew every one of us that was going to say yes to Jesus because God is like that. Right? From before time began because God is like that. He knew what you'd be doing today, this very, he knew what you'd be thinking while I'm saying this before you were ever even conceived. And I could say before time even began. But to waste time in discussing these things, not that you shouldn't, that sounded bad. Not that you can't have those discussions. There's plenty of other places in scripture that warrant having that discussion. This is not one of them. Because the thrust of this, the force of this phrase, the reason he's thanking God for them, because they're beloved by God, God loves you, and out of that, he brings salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. That last part is the phrase that we have to pay attention to. That's what we have to bring ourselves to, because we have to recognize that salvation is not, hear me, brothers and sisters, salvation is not a static picture. It's not a one-time event. It's not something that happened and done. Not according to this phrase. For we are the the first fruits of those, or from the beginning, however you want to say it, that are saved through sanctification by the Spirit. That when you and I receive salvation in Jesus Christ, like I said before, it's not an end point, it's a beginning point. Sanctification through the Spirit, is the ongoing work of God setting you apart. Let me say that again. Sanctification through the Spirit is the ongoing work of God setting you apart, making you different from what you used to be and from what the rest of the lost world is like. But let's start with the first one, or let's stay with the first one here this morning. Because we can have discussions about being different from the rest of the world. I say, it's just going to happen. If we allow the first one to be true, that's going to happen. We don't have to worry about that, actually. Right? Because God's ongoing sanctifying work through the Holy Spirit is setting you apart from who you used to be. Salvation is a recognition that Jesus accomplished something on the cross that allowed you to be set free from your sin allowed you to have a chance of eternal life with God forever and ever. And you receive that by saying yes to him, by receiving the work that Jesus did, by saying, I have nothing to offer, but I believe your shed blood, Jesus, is what allows me to be forgiven of my sins and walk in freedom and spend eternity with you. That is the anchor I have as a hope. Sanctification is the ongoing work of God making you, allowing you to walk in that freedom. To walk as a new creation before him. And this is what God's love accomplishes. Let's not miss the connection that Paul is doing. God's love brought salvation for you, without a doubt. But God's love also sanctifies you through the Spirit and belief in the truth. This is what we want to bring. Did anyone notice, by the way, did anyone notice at all this last phrase, belief in truth? It's important for us because it's setting up the contrast that Paul is really, I think, trying to drive us to. Do you remember what we read? You may not because it's been a couple weeks ago. Do you remember what we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 to 12? When this lawless one comes, and he's going to come, I'll just read verse 9 there, with all power and false signs and wonders, and then goes on to say this, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Why are they perishing? No, for real. Why are they perishing? 
Because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Do you see how that stands in direct opposition to what I just read to you? Because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, here's the contrast Paul is setting up. Here's the, here's the, here's the dichotomy he wants to present to you. He wants to tell you, you may end up being deceived, but it will be because you did not love the truth. But you had pleasure in unrighteousness. Or you may end up being sanctified, and it's because you did love the truth. You did believe in the truth, and you allowed the Holy Spirit to work in you. Now, I want to be very careful because I do not in any way, shape, or form want to equalize the Holy Spirit and the lawless one. They are not even close to the same, right? Holy Spirit is God. In fact, I might even suggest to you the breath of God, which is referred to in 2 Thessalonians, that the lawless one will be destroyed by is the Holy Spirit because breath and spirit are the same words. Not equal, not at all. But the, what I want you to see is that the influence you allow over you is what's determining these things. The influence of the lawless one will lead to deception. The influence of the Holy Spirit will lead to sanctification. Can I remind you that God loves you? God loves you and wants you to be saved. And he not only wants you to be saved, he wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be continually growing in set-apartness, in holiness to him. That is why he saved you. It happens through the Holy Spirit and through belief in truth. But we're not even done yet because the second phrase I want to bring to you is the last phrase of, chapter, of verse 14. He called us to this through the gospel. Your response to it, he called us to this so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what you think about Jesus. I mean, I hope you think good things about Jesus. I hope he's like, I hope you recognize that he's even bigger than you think he might be. He's even more wonderful than you think he might be. He's even more faithful than you think he might be. He's even more holy than you think he might be. He's even more just than you think he might. I could go on for a long time. But I'm hoping among your thoughts of Jesus, certainly the resurrected Jesus, is that Jesus is a glorious, he's glorious. He's a glorious being or I don't know, person. I was going to say a person. That doesn't, it's not like us. Not in his, but Jesus is glorious. He's the one whom they gather around the throne and myriads upon myriads upon myriads of angels sing and worship to you and lift him up and glorify him. Yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Those kind of things. That you, that, you, that you at least make some attempts at grasping the glory of what Jesus is like and particularly the glory of Jesus now that he has come into, in human form, has been killed by sinful people, has been brought back to life by the glory of God, and has ascended to his place on high. That glory, because that sets in context Paul saying, this is what God has called you to through the gospel. This is what God's love for you does. It saves you, it sanctifies you, and it allows you to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you can share in his glory. Now, I don't know about you. I hope you're willing to at least entertain these kind of things. I don't know about you, that you should spend enough time to think about this to realize how totally unfair that is. 
What a fantastic offer that we do not deserve that is. How so far beyond what any of us would ever conceive of doing that is. That we would get to share in the glory of Jesus. That Jesus would be willing to share his glory with us. And yet, I propose to you, that's exactly what he said. I could have chosen several verses, but the one I chose was from John chapter 17, where he says, the glory to God, the, he says this to God, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I think Jesus said in another place that it is my good pleasure to share my kingdom with you. I'm not ashamed of calling you my brothers and sisters. Listen, I don't know how to do stuff to make you think about how immense that is. How huge that is. How, I mean, I, I, I'm not, this, is, this is not a critical comment because I'm in the same place as you so often. But how, how can we just sit here and be like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Now let's go have some food and let's go do my job tomorrow. Like this, Lord, help us because our brains just cannot fathom how, what this really is like. The offer that's given to you because God loves you to save you from your sins and set you apart and make you not like who you used to be and say, you get to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. What is his? Everything is his, right? Everything is his. He is the Lord of everything. And he invites you to participate in that. He will be worshiped by all of creation for all time, forever and ever. And he invites you to share in that. Peter said the same thing. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know, when we read that verse, I read that verse, so many times I'm reading it because of the, the outside parameters, right? After you've suffered, God will confirm, strengthen, uh, establish, I missed one, restore you. It's those things. And in the middle of it is tucked away this theological understanding that this is exactly what God has called you to. His eternal glory in Christ. Whoa. Paul, of course, would say the same thing in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then, fellow, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Make no mistake. When you come this morning, if you come this morning and you eat some bread and you drink some juice, make no mistake, this is exactly what you're saying. You are saying, I am participating with Jesus. I am saved by Jesus. I am sanctified by Jesus. And I am being glorified. I'm being sanctified. You can even say that. And I will be glorified. I am being glorified. I'm, 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 I'm growing and sharing in Jesus' glory. And these things, I can't separate them. Because the last two verse references I gave you reminded us that we're going to walk the same path Jesus did. A path of humiliation. A path of suffering. So that we might achieve his glory someday. At the end of those verses of humility in Philippians chapter 2, recall those verses. We spent a lot of time in them last November. But recall it's because of those things. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that he is Lord. Right? 
That's what you're saying when you walk up here today, if you walk up here today. I choose the path that Jesus chose, the path of humility and suffering and obedience now so that I can be glorified then. Three words. Three words I want to bring to you this morning that I think the love of God is meant to accomplish in us. We give thanks to God for you, brothers. Beloved by God. For God has chosen you from the beginning or as firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by his spirit and, and belief in the truth. This is what God has called you to in the gospel. This is what God has called you to in the gospel, to obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. Salvation. Sanctification. Glorification. Might I suggest to you, salvation was an event that happened when Jesus made that, he, he, when he died on the cross. And your reception of that is, is a moment when you decided, I want to receive the salvation of Jesus. I want to receive the lordship of Jesus. Sanctification is a result of that decision to become uh, a servant to Jesus. The ongoing work. It's still happening. I would tell you, this is going to reveal my theology to you, but I would tell you that it won't be accomplished until the day that you are called home. But I would also tell you that the glorification, I think, is, is, is an in-progress kind of thing. When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here, it's an in-progress thing, just like the sanctification is. Because Scripture is clear that we are being transformed into the image of Christ, even now. And you might say that's sanctification, Merlin, and I probably wouldn't argue with you too much. But if Jesus uses language like letting a light shine, we're not the light, right? That's not me. That's not me. That's not my good deeds either. That's Jesus. I think that's, the, that's, that's glory. When, when Paul uses words like unveiled faces before Jesus and when we have spent so much time with Jesus that it just comes out of us with people I think that that's not me that's not my attitude that's not that's not me that's Jesus however we I don't think have a single clue what glorification really talks about and means and probably won't until that day until that day when Jesus Christ returns and we see him in his glory Can I remind you, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, that's what you're proclaiming. You're proclaiming salvation, sanctification, and glorification. I invite you this morning to think very carefully where you are on that. It's not a scale. But where you're at. Certainly, Certainly, I would be remiss if I would not just invite you this morning that if you do not know the salvation of Jesus Christ, that today would be the day it changes. That today you would say, I recognize that God's love has provided a savior for me, and I need that. I need my sins to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Certainly, if you have not ever done that, you should not, have, you should not participate in communion with us. And if you do it this morning... Like right now, 
I would invite you to participate with us because I think that's what it means. It's you participating in the body of Christ. But for every one of us, I think, maybe I just want to especially go to the sanctification piece. There's the, the question that lingers for us. Have I agreed with God that that is what he wants for me? Is to be changed. Is to be made more holy. Because I think that's what you're saying when you participate to this morning. Is I want God to change me. I am open to him, in fact, pointing out anything that's not correct with me so I can repent of that. So that he can change me. God, thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. And I think it's worth it at this moment. It's not exactly how I was planning to do it, but I think it's worth it at this moment to just pause. For it seems to me that these are important questions that you'd like to ask us this morning. Have we received the blood of Jesus Christ? Has that, has that happened and taken place in our life? And this morning, I pray... God, that if there's anybody here in this room that your Holy Spirit has been working on and is, in fact, tugging on and is saying that today is the day of salvation, I pray that by your grace that you would enable them to respond and that you would lead them in that decision as your Holy Spirit can so well do. You would lead them in, the, in that decision to say, Jesus, I have no hope apart from you. I am sinful. I need such desperate help in my life, and I need the blood of Jesus to cover my sins. Thank you that it's already happened. Thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood, and I want to receive forgiveness. I want to let go of those things. I want to turn away from those things. I agree, God, that you are holy, that you are right, and that I am wrong, that I need to change these things in my life. And again, Holy Spirit, we're inviting you to be very specific about those things that we want to give up, that we want to, we want to leave, repent of, and say, help me turn away from that. Help me no more do that. Help me change my mind and see you is right and me is wrong. Cover me this morning with the blood of Jesus Christ. Allow me to experience the joy and peace that comes from having my sins forgiven through Jesus and in Jesus' name. But the reality is there's a, there's a question there for every one of us that even if we have chosen, uh, even if we have decided that we would like to have forgiveness of our sins. Even if, even if we've responded to that according to your will and by your grace, we're still left with the question of, do I agree with you, God, that sanctification is what you want, that you are leading me to glorification, and that if I'm not willing to take steps that way now, there's no way I'm going to be there with you in heaven. And if that's going to be true, then there's no way I can participate this morning in communion. Holy Spirit, to have your way with us this morning as we look toward participating, toward celebrating, toward giving thanks to you, God, for the, thing, the things that your love has made possible for us to be saved, to be sanctified, to be glorified. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.